friends, welcome to another episode of the Ten Laws Podcast with East Forest. <clears throat> I'm Mr. Forrest. I'm still I'm still sick, believe it or not. So sorry for the estranged voice that you might hear. But this thing just it's difficult to kick, and believe me, I'm sick of it. Sounds like it's going around out there. So I hope everyone out there is staying healthy and doing what you can. But uh, I wanted to get this episode out with you with Tiffany DiBartolo. And Tiffany is someone who I got to know through some of the East Forest retreats, her and her husband, Scott. And Rod and I crossed paths with them, and they were just lovely. And now as we're here in this episode, we give some background about how I came to know her as an author. Uh, but I'm also working with them with their record label that they, they have called Bright Antenna Records. And the album that is started to release with Peter Broderick, uh, uh, Burren. So we have two songs that came out. And that album is being released on their label, Bright Antenna Records. So kind of comes full circle. But more than anything, I really wanted to talk to Tiffany about her work as a writer because she's an incredible writer. And I had finally read her book, Sorrow. And just it was amazing. So beautiful and it blew me wide open. So I can't, I can't recommend that highly enough. I hadn't read a novel in a long time. And I'm so glad that the one I read was this one because I've been recommending it to everyone just because it's a, it's a wonderful read. You know, it's one of those things that you you start on the first page and it just, it, it grabs you and and I just wanted to keep reading. <laughs> so that's, that's like, hopefully what books are, right? You want to keep reading them as opposed to like you feel like you should keep reading them. Um, but this one was amazing. And so um, I love this conversation and I if I am introducing you to Tiffany's work, uh, go check it out because it's just incredible and check out everything on Bright Antenna Records. I want to say thanks to everyone in our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash East Forest. We call it the council. And uh, we just had a really lovely uh, monthly Zoom council not too long ago, usually near the end of the month. And I've been sharing some advanced listens to some of this music. Uh, the Burren album I've been doing with Peter Broderick, um, demos, other things like that. It's a great way to support this podcast and support the project in general. So if you'd like to check that out, please do. Patreon.com slash East Forest. And uh, speaking of the Burn record, it comes out in just a couple weeks on March 17th, 2023. That happens to be St. Patrick's Day, which is perfect because the album was recorded in Ireland. Um, we have a whole episode coming out soon, uh, me and Peter. Like as soon as we finished mixing the record within 10 minutes we pulled up the mic and we started let's let's just tell the story of this record and what we're feeling right now and how it was made so look forward to that coming soon but right now the tracks resurrect inside and the baron burren are currently released wherever you listen to music and there's going to be a vinyl uh, pre-order also available soon this beautiful uh, double disc vinyl that we're, we're all super excited about uh, so more on that record soon and lastly, uh, I'll be with Rada. We're going to go to South by Southwest this coming weekend. I'll be on a panel that Numinous is hosting. Uh, so if you'd like to come say hello, please do. That panel will be on Friday, March 10th, I believe at 4 p.m. Um, it's on my. It's in the Austin Convention Center, but you can go to my website, eastforest.org, and see more information about you know the actual room number and stuff. So if you have a... Uh, if you're going to be there, let us know. I think there should be some other fun events going on too. 
and looking like it's going to be warmer down there, which thank God it's still snowing up here in, uh, in Boise. And I think my body is ready to, to be done with the cold. Can you hear me? Listen to this. This is crazy. I mean, as a performer and a singer, this is like my worst nightmare. Thank God I don't have a performance right now, but like, I can't smell anything. I can't taste anything. And it's, it's, you know, my voice, it's difficult to uh, speak, let alone sing. Uh, but I've been rehearsing because I've got Tree Fort Music Fest coming up right after South by. And I'm really excited to, to play in the new Tree Fort Music Hall. They're building a whole new venue, like a thousand cap venue in downtown Boise. And I'm going to be doing a yoga class there with Rada. I think at 2 p.m. on Sunday of the festival. And then that same Sunday, just a couple hours later, at 4 p.m., I'm going to do a ceremony concert in the Tree Fort Music Hall, the brand new Tree Fort Music Hall. So that should be very exciting. Um, all right, well, let's get into this. This is a great conversation with our new friend and old friend, Tiffany DiBartolo. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining me. It's nice to see you. It's so nice to see you, and I'm so excited to talk to you about this today, about so many <laughs> things today. Good, good. Well, we can, you know, as usual, take it wherever it goes, but let's give folks just a little bit of background. Um, I guess this, now that I think about it, our weavings are pretty deep. <laughs> I was going to just start with the book, but it's like we've, we, the way we got to know each other, you and Scott, um, it was actually really beautiful. Someone asked me the other day, because you're, you're part of Bright Antenna Records and we're working together now, but that's actually not technically why we're talking right now. And someone asked me how I got associated with y'all as a label. And I said, well, you know, it's really beautiful because I met both of them at our retreat in Utah. And yep. when we're at those retreats, I, I don't ask people what they do or what their work is. It's sort of like, let's get out of that space and just... Uh, you know, just be. So I had no idea. I just thought you guys were just cool people and you came. And then years later, uh, we kind of circled back to the whole music uh, label side and connected that way. And then you gave me a book of yours because you're an author and the book Sorrow at that retreat, which I hope this doesn't sound bad, but it was a long time ago and I didn't read it right away. <laughs> yeah, me, that doesn't sound bad at all. But let me give you a little background to that. Like, so I... I'm I'll embarrassed to say, and I'll just put it out there. Like I used to read more. I really did. And once the iPhone came into my world, uh, it's changed my brain in some way. And I read less. Um, not to say that I don't read, but not in the way that I did. I used to read more, more novels, I think. And now I feel like also because of the podcast, I, I have to read a lot more like um, nonfiction books that are sent to me and I'm usually like under the gun and I'm kind of like reading large sections or skimming a lot of things and I'm you know it's not the same kind of experience no and I had this thing in my head like oh I, I can't read or something like something's <laughs> changed in me and um, I won't make this too long but uh, Rada picked up the book at some point and I don't know six months ago or something and she she, she reads and she just started reading your book. And I was like, how, how is that? Cause it's been on my to-do list <laughs> for a while. And she says, you know, it's, it's pretty good. And I was like, Oh really? And then like a couple nights later, how's the book? She's like, it's really good. And I'm like, really? <laughs> that book's really good. She's like, yeah. And like, I'm really enjoying this book. And she finished it and loved it. Like mm. loved it. I love that. 
And then she was talking Peter Broderick, who's a friend and was here mixing a record. He's just hanging out and she's talking about the book and Peter picks it up. He leaves here and within a week had read it. And he tells you, he's like, I loved this book. And now I'm, of course, really like, well, I feel left out here, you know? <laughs> I loved Peter's reaction to it. We've been oh, he, chatting back and forth and it's been so awesome. awesome. Yeah. Peter's very, they're both so open hearted. And so anyway, it was one of those things where it's sitting on the bedside table and I picked it up one night thinking like, well, I'm not still ready to like read a novel, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna just what this open it up. And I started reading the first, you know, the beginning of the book. I swear to God within one page, I was like, I'm enjoying this experience and I want, I want to read more. I want to read more. And it just, it never stopped. And I just voraciously yeah. went straight through the book and Last last part of this little cap, because now Ayavsky saw this whole thing very synchronistically. Um, it wasn't just that, oh, I took a while, and I read it and I enjoyed it. It was like, no, no, no. Like, I was heading into my darkness retreat soon. And I was reading the book. And uh, when I went, it was on the, I took a plane to get there. And it was one of the first time in years, all I did on the plane was read. Wow. And I had a great time doing it and, and didn't want to do anything else. And then when I got there, I had to go into the dark at some point, like around five. And I was like, I have to finish the book because I don't want to be sitting here for a week. Being like, what happened? In the dark. I know, no but it was, it was on my mind. I was like, I want to just finish the, the story just on that level. And the book uh, is about someone who's a musician and friends with a musician. It's about forgiveness and it's about regret and it's about uh, fear and courage. And these are all things that are very, very close to me too. And it's, it felt very personal. Mm. And I finished the book sitting in the dark room with the light on, you know, on, on, sitting on the bed, like right before I was basically like, okay, I got to turn out the light, not knowing what that experience would be like. And as soon as it finished, I just, I just like burst into tears. And it was something just, it was sort of like the situation, how it's so primed, but the story and it was like a happy ending, but it also brought up so much grief within me. And I and I just bawled. It it it, it started some kind of like cathartic release in me. Mm. That was that is some like kind of the interesting best feeling service that was very synchronous to that moment of like mm. what I was going into. And I was like, I was supposed to read this book now and finish it now. Wow. It was almost too much to handle. And so when I did go into the dark, I was thinking about you a lot and thinking about you and Scott and this work and, and the characters. So I'm going to leave it there. And you can tell us a little bit just about who you are and maybe, <laughs> I don't know, I, 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 about this, this, this piece and, and, and yourself as a writer. Well, first I want to say that, and, you know, you had sent me right before you went into, or no, it was after you came out, I think you sent me the voice memo. Um, talking about sort of what you just said. And, yeah. and I was in Costa Rica when I got it with, I'd been, I'd spent a week there with seven of my really close girlfriends that I don't get to see a lot. And I was feeling very healed by their presence and the space that they were holding for me um, because I'd had a rough, uh, last year was a rough year for me and I hadn't seen them since sort of, a lot of things happened in my life and being able to share that with them. And then getting that message from you felt like, I don't know, sort of like a, a period at the end of a really long mm. 
chapter of a book that's still being written. And the reason I say that is because I listened to a lot of your music when I was writing that book. What? Uh, yes, it's crazy. So I don't listen to... When, when um, did you write it? Yeah. Um, I guess it's been out for two years. So the the period of two years before that, um, I was writing it. Before, before we go on, uh, I want to push the mic a little away from you a little bit. It's a little hot. How's yeah, that? Yeah, it's probably help. You know, if we, if, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll have you turn it down, but I think we're good. The back or the front? So, uh, I'll just leave it for now. Okay. So it's your latest book that's out. Correct. Okay. Yeah, and so it came okay. out in 2020, um, and was kind of anticlimactic because it came out like right in the middle of the worst part of COVID. So, right. um, but. Anyway, I was listening to a lot of your music. I listen to instrumental music mostly when I'm um, writing. And so it was basically you and the band Hammock that kind of was uh, what I was listening to when I was writing that. So it felt, um, it felt again, like this magical full circle. And, and your music has played a huge part in my journey over the last three years when with medicine and with people in my life that I do medicine with and sort of the ups and downs of certain relationships that that involves. And so, and, and also the book and sort of certain relationships that, that characters in the book represent. Um, so the fact that we're sitting here talking about it seems so magical and important to me. I do feel the weaving, but honestly, the honor was all mine. Just being able to experience. I, I hope I don't sound. I'm really not trying to like send this up or snow you or anything. Really, it was an incredible book. It was. It's so well written, and I can mm. tell you specifically what I what I mean. And I'm no expert on writing, but it was the pacing was perfect. Uh, the the story there was almost nothing extraneous, but if there was, it added color to the story. Like it was a very tight story and it was it was smart like the way things were woven in and out like the, even when you knew like well this reveal kind of thing has to happen the way it ended up happening is like man that's a good way to do it you know that's a great <laughs> way to do it. it could have been all these other things in my mind thinking about like i don't want to give parts of the story away um and and there were also it was very like uh touching about how about sort of like particularly me like a friend helping another friend uh, I'm trying to do it without giving away the story, but like the friend really helping a friend, like live what their dream needs to be, even though that's like, it's like real love, real friendship, their real, real brotherhood love. on that level. Yeah. yeah. And on, on all different levels and that person's love for someone else and really having to like face fears. God, that stuff would hit me in the gut about what it really means to like face horrible things you don't want to face. Yeah. Yeah. That's the hardest part, I think, for me is like in reading it. Yeah. And I feel like that's, I mean, I think a lot of people read books um, for the story and, and obviously that's important, but I write from a much deeper place and it moves me when people feel that depth and connect to it and it it resonates on some level because that's really, I don't know, that to me is the whole point of art to connect yeah. us. And that was a, a big point in the book too, of, of 
how art connects us and makes us feel less alone. Very much so. Um, so tell me a bit about your background as a writer. If I'm, I could be wrong, maybe written half a dozen books or so. And um, if you always, has this always been your passion? Does this feel like your main uh, passion work in life? Because you're very good at it. It's not like you just like, oh, I'm writing books on the side. It seems like you know what you're doing. <laughs> well, I started as a writer in my professional life. And I, as growing up, like I had two passions. I was a really, really weird kid. I never left my room if I didn't have to. And I was either reading or listening to music. So um, it kind of makes sense that I ended up as a writer and in the music business. But um, I started as a screenwriter, actually, when I graduated from college. And I spent a few years working in Hollywood and just hated it. Um, it was not the, it was not the world for me. Um, so I started writing novels just kind of as an exercise. I was, I was being hired to write screenplays, but just hating it and, and started writing an, what ended up being my first novel after Jeff Buckley died. Um, cause I was a huge Jeff Buckley fan and I was really heartbroken after he died. And, um, and so my first novel, I basically sat down and listened to Grace for nine months and made up a story. Um, and so that's kind of the way I work. Honestly, it's like some sort of musical piece usually gets inside of me and it, it connects with something in my life that I have a question about and it turns into, um, a book. And I, I've written three novels that have been published and, um, one graphic novel that I wrote the text to, but I, I wouldn't say that I'm super pro prolific because I also have this thing where there's so much I love to do in life. And when I'm writing, yeah. I'm not doing anything but writing. It's I think about it all day. I s dream about the characters at night and, you know, eight hours can go by. And at the end of the day, Scott's like, okay, you need to eat. You need to turn off your computer. Like it's that kind of thing. So I take yeah. big breaks between books because... I want to have a life and um, I'm going to start one probably this summer and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Do you have a feeling of like what it will be about or how does that process work of discovering the subject matter? Is it through music? It often is through music, although this one feels like, like everything that I went through last year and kind of learning about um, more about myself and um, my wounds and why I do some of the things I do or have done. Um, and also this deep dive that I'm doing into, um, women's studies and sexuality and gender and sort of somehow I'm going to bring all that together and, and write a book about it. I'm not even sure what that means yet. Mm, wow. <laughs> wow. Well, I get, this is a random question. Um, and this is a bit of a synchronicity too, I'll tell you. Do you know someone named Cal Callahan? I do not. Do you? I do. <laughs> oh, yeah. really? And I was like, it's got to be the same guy. Whoa, so no. Check this out. This is what? crazy then. This is crazy. This is crazy. Check this out. I thought I made that up. <laughs> well, I, I've been talked to, I've asked Rod about this a lot. I was like, do you think it's the same? She's like, no. And I'm like, come on, who has, that's a, a unique name. And like, this guy's kind of a, anyway. Cal is a fan and um, from a while back and he came in my life and he was just a big supporter and he would like 
come to things and want to support and think about doing events and would send me stuff like there's a sweatshirt from his podcast called the unlearned podcast and i wear it a lot because i just like it and he sent me um music one day and i opened the box and guess what it was what it was it was the vinyl box set of jeff buckley at what uh, yeah he's a huge jeff buckley fan what yeah yeah and and it's, it's his name's cal callahan that he is, is, he's also blowing my mind right now. No, he's very tall and he's like, I think, what do I know? He's a good looking guy. And he's, he's like a big energy. Wow. You know, he's like a bold, bold guy. I haven't actually talked to him in, in a little while, but I'm, when I read that, I was like, maybe you guys know each other, you know, cause he's actually like a West coast kind of, and he's in circles we're in. And I, I feel like, like I need to know him. Well, I'll introduce you. Just be like, hey, it's a book character. You guys I got to send him a copy make. of the book, if nothing else. Hell yeah. I'll, I will <laughs> definitely introduce you. But I mean, that blows my mind, too. And he's and he's a big Jeff. Of all the vinyl, he only sent me one. It was Jeff Buckley. See, the reason why that makes me even like feel more magic is because my, like the magic that started happening in my life really started happening when I discovered Jeff's music. And so like, I could tell you the craziest stories about what happened in my life synchronistically after I discovered Jeff's music. And, um, what? <laughs> I mean, it's, there's such long stories, but like, for instance, I didn't know Jeff's music before he died. So it's, 1999 and Chris Cornell puts out a, his first solo album and there's a song on it that it, I find really inspiring and I start writing a story that this song inspires and that night I have this dream and in the dream I'm sitting at a kitchen table with Chris and with this guy that he tells me is Jeff Buckley and they can't talk to each other because Jeff's dead and Chris is alive, but somehow I can hear them both. And so Chris is saying to me in the dream, can you tell Jeff, blah, 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 blah. And I'd look at Jeff and say, Chris says, blah, blah, blah. And Jeff would tell me something and say, can you tell? And so it was just the most craziest dream. So the next morning I bought the Grace CD because I was like, I need to, I don't know what this Jeff Buckley person's all about, but I need to listen to his record. And Scott and I were flying to Italy that day to find a place to get married. So we're on the plane to Milan or somewhere. And I put in the headphones and literally three notes into the record, Mm -hmm. like all the hair standing up and I'm listening to it. And I'm just like crying, like Scott's asleep and I'm bawling on the plane. And he wakes up and I'm at Lover, You Should Have Come Over at this point, which is my second favorite song ever. Um, and I'm just bawling and he's like, what's the matter? What's the matter? And I'm, I just give him the headphones and I'm like, you have to listen to this song. Um, and from that moment on all kinds of magical things started happening in my life and here we are. And so thanks Jeff. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. That record. Um, I mean, if anyone hasn't heard it, go out there and hear it. It's one of the the greatest. And I'm I'm like happy that Jeff Buckley had a major label deal just so that like we could get a really great because it is one of the it's very well recorded too. Yes. Like not in a bad way. Like everything about that record worked really well. I don't know a lot about how it was recorded other than like we actually would use uh, that song as a reference track when we were mixing. Not because you know, just be like, this is an example of like that era, like a snare drum sounding great kind of thing. And, and 
and he's incredible. Yeah, and his voice is just from another planet. Yeah, and that's all cl- love. That club, is, I think it's Shine, is mm-hmm. how it's pronounced. I mean, I'm, I used to go there back when I lived in New York, and it's like I remember that little club. And so, like the fact that that's where he was starting out, I was, I don't know, that also just felt like it was coming full circle for me. Of like, I, th- I, don't even, I doubt it's around anymore. But um, no, it's not. Yeah. Well, and also, I'll be honest too. One of the reasons I didn't start to read the book was because of the title. I was like, thought I thought it was going to be like, I can't, I just can't handle it right now. You know, more <laughs> sorrow. <laughs> and it's not, and it's not, it's not like a book about, in a sense, like, oh, it's just about some depressing feeling. It's actually about to me hope and um, resilience or, or, or the beauty of like what can come on the other side of kind of like a purge. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I felt that too, the energy that came out of me when I finished reading, it felt like a, like a purge. Like it was, mm. it's the tears weren't fun, but they also were like, yeah, but this feels right and good and needed. It's like it was helping exercise something. Yeah. I actually listened to it on audiobook over the last week because I wanted to kind of, I hadn't, I hadn't read it in two years. And so um, I wanted to just have it fresh in my mind. And it was interesting to listen to somebody read it to me because um, it felt it? Um, some actor named Tim Campbell. Oh, okay. It wasn't, it wasn't um, you. No, no, it's, it's definitely an actor and he does a really great job. And, um, it felt like I was listening to somebody else's story. Like it's hard for me to remember writing that book in a lot of ways. Um, but it felt really healing to listen to it. There was just, there was pieces of it. Like when you touched on the forgiveness thing, it's like, it just kind of like reminded me of people's humanity and how, you have to take that into consideration when you're mad at them, <laughs> you know, when, when there's anger, when there's situations that, um, that hurt you. Um, and it really was helpful for me to, to read that and, and kind of get back into that idea. It's just not an, it's not a comfortable feeling, uh, thinking about, things that you might have done, whether unintentional or intentional, and then there's repercussions and you really, really, really don't want to face, face the music about like the reverberations that that's had in your life and others. And it's so much, we all just kind of want to, um, I don't know, just like, can't we just let sleeping dogs lie or just let the past move on? And, uh, and I'm not trying to say like, there's this ethos in the book saying, yeah, you have to do that or like that's like you know there's the right way or you know you have to like some kind of moral message it was Mm -hmm. more just the pain and the complexity of what that's like and however it happens whether it's intentional unintentional like and when I was in the dark I had this really big feeling and revelation about uh self-acceptance and and recognizing like all the actions we do and the ch- choices and the, th- the things we do in life. Typically, I was tracking back in my own life how it came from something that essentially happened to me. Like, and I could go back to when I was like four or five is the last time I felt like really free and zero judgment. And then like, well, where did the judgment start to come from? Mm-hmm. And you start to see like the world, this and so forth and so on. It's like, okay, so things happened to me and that created a reaction in me 
that I'm compensating in a way. And then that just fans out like a tree and you see all the choices you've made in life. Yeah. And they're not independent of on their own. So I don't have to sit there and be like, I'm a bad person because I made that mistake. It's like I did that within a context of essentially traumas. Yep. And I see I saw that about everybody else too. It's like the mis- everyone is coming from uh, uh, source points of traumatic events that changed and uh, manipulated and, and helped make them who they are so that they could grow. But I have compassion. So that's a lot about what I felt when I was reading this story was about that kind of compassion that yeah. we can have for ourselves. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was just trying to articulate, but you said it much better of like, that's what I felt when I was listening to it is like, oh, I remember where I was coming from when I wrote this. And it was an, uh, it was a feeling that I need to be reminded of now in my life. I need to, I need to hold on to that um, because I've really been struggling with forgiveness and anger and things that when you're hurt, you you can't let go of. Are you feeling that, I mean, you don't have to talk about it if it's too personal, but forgiveness of yourself is it, I mean, does it feel like it's more about others? Um, You know, it seems on the surface that it's about someone else, but when you boil it down, it also is really so much about me and, and, you know, guilt and regret and um, kind of, healing that by just coming to a place of compassion and understanding about where we all come from and how we're all really trying to do the best that we can. You know, as cliche as that yeah. sounds, we really are. You know, no one no one intentionally wants to hurt anybody. There's a believe. phrase um, that I learned, I think, from cognitive behavioral therapy years ago that like if you take the lens that everyone's doing the best that they know how to do, I mean, even when horrible things happen in some we- in some fucked up way, I mean, that was actually the best that they knew how to do in that moment is within the context of all these other things. And but it's like, why, though, is it so damn hard to why is it so hard? To, to, you know, Even with that kind of meta knowledge in your head, there's something that's like a body language. And that's, again, what I was feeling after I was thinking about this. And yeah, I finished the book and I'm in the dark and I'm thinking like. Why, why am I understanding this, but there's still so much shame and regret in my body mm-hmm. and it's coming out through these tears and this anxiety. And it's like, but why can't I just connect the dots and say, Hey, I forgive you. I know. Relax, relax, <laughs> you know, but it's like some part of me, it's a longer process or it's like, no, but it's like, it's sort of like grief, right? Like you wish with grief, like, can I just talk to you and reason with you grief? It's like, well, it's like you can, but there's also like like something decaying in the garden or something growing in the garden. It just takes time. It just takes time. Yeah. It has a, it's inherent intelligence about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. And it's, it's also, I found it comes in waves. Like I think I'm past it and then I'll wake up one day and it will be right back in my face. So, um, just, it's just a roller coaster. So, um, is there any other questions you have for me about your book? Because I'm happy. <laughs> I know, I know, I think you like uh, wanting to hear about it because I have other questions about other things and other books you've written, but um, I don't want to just feel like I'm moving on too fast from sorrow. Um, no, you can ask me anything you want. <laughs> I don't care. We don't have to talk about sorrow. <laughs> well, I, I love it. It's just hard to talk about without talking about the plot points. But yeah, I know I it really is. Because I really want to kind of dig into the plot. 
Yeah. Um, well, but, one uh, thing I will say about it too is like the whole thing about being inspired by music is the storyline itself came to me. Um, I was out on a hike one day in Muir Woods and I was listening to an album that I've heard, uh, I'd heard a thousand times before, um, uh, an album by The National. And this song called Pink Rabbits came on, which is one of my favorite songs by them. And I, it, I love the song and it always hurts me and moves me. Um, but this particular day, it conjured up this whole scene in my head. And I went home and I wrote down the scene and it ended up being the beginning of the book. But uh, it's a scene that comes much later. It's the scene at the Greek theater. Um, but oh, wow. yeah, but originally that was the beginning of the book, which is kind of funny. It was? Yeah. Oh, like a kind of you start there and then it yeah. goes back in time. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't do that. I never like when there's flashbacks in movies, at least. <laughs> I was like, oh, come on. I mean, now I got to wait. <laughs> yeah. So do you often write from a place uh, that has a lot of personal grounding as far as place and characters or experiences yeah, you've had? I do. Yeah. And that's really um, it, that is like my own thing of like writing is therapy for me and writing is a place where I've always um, been able to fully express myself and also explore things that I would otherwise maybe not have felt comfortable exploring or talking about. So um, it it's always inspired by something going on in my life. I just turn it into a completely fictional version of it. Like this particular work, did it, like is your process to write and then you have to edit down and down and down and lots of, re, you know, reshaping or was this fairly concise as it was coming out? How do you map that kind of story points out? Because it was very thoughtful. Yeah, it's funny. This again, this book felt so magical when it was coming out because I don't plot books um, much to really? my agent's dismay because he's like, you would write so many more books if you just mm -hmm. plotted them out. But that takes all the fun out of it to me. Like I like sitting down and just kind of having these characters in my head and just watching them do things. And then writing that down is kind of like the way I look at it. Um, but there were the plot, like, for instance, the first plot point in this book, which I, you know, when, when someone walks into a room, <laughs> that's all yeah, I can say. Leave it there. Yeah, yeah, leave it there. Um, I didn't know who was walking into that room until I was writing that scene. Come on. And then I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Of course. And but then you, it, you set it up, though, in a way. I, I didn't. I, I swear what, I didn't. What I mean to say is, like, I, when that happened, I went back and thought, like, OK, this is a bit of a leap that you have to buy into. And yeah. I thought about how it's set up, like, and I was like, that was the perfect way, you know, it's it thoughtful. And it doesn't because you're not writing in a way that it feels like you're meandering and then things just kind of happen. No, it feels tight to me. I was like, this is tight you know, and, and in a good way, like it was the right, it was the right pacing in a sense of like, not, oh man, it's, you know, remember I told you that I really enjoyed reading the Fountainhead. Yes. Right? And I really did. And Same, I, I me too. But it's long. Like talk about like, let's go into architecture, <laughs> like pages upon pages and it's still good. <laughs> but part of me is like, okay. And then. Could and have then, been 300 the pages less. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You don't do that. You know, you're like, we, we get all the color and we're there, we're feeling it. And then like, we're, we're, we're going on almost like a movie in a sense, but been, been very literary. So I don't know. I'm surprised to hear that you're 
it, it's discovering you as you're going I know. Along. Yeah. It's just that, that, that was like, I remember when that happened and I was like screaming and I was just like, Scott, <laughs> Scott, you're not going to be, you're not going to believe it just happened. <laughs> well, tell me a bit about your other books. Cause I'm interested in, um, uh, checking them all out. Um, are, are, is this, do you have like with me with albums, I definitely have albums that I, I'm drawn to more, but at the same time people come to me and there's an album they like, and I'm like, man, really? That's my least favorite album of mine. <laughs> I mean, that's their favorite. But for you, are they all your favorite children or how do you feel about it? You know, I tend to be um, most attached to the most recent one um, because I feel like I can see my growth in each book, not just as a person, but as a writer. Um, But I also have a really soft spot for my first novel because it really did come out in, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't know if I knew what I was doing. I just sat down and did it. And, um, it was just a huge piece of my heart and, and also getting validation for it, you know, um, selling it, having people like it, um, it enabled me to kind of have the confidence to keep writing because yeah. I didn't know if, I didn't know if I knew how to write a novel, you know, I, I, I it's a Herculean <laughs> task in my mind. I, I always equated writing to albums, but then I started writing a book and I was like, oh, my God, this is <laughs> way bigger. Um, and my book's nonfiction. And I just can't imagine adding all these layers of like story and uh, the documentary you're working on. You know, it, it's so hard because it's all about story. You know, it's one. Yeah. You know, anybody can not anybody, but it's much easier to write an essay about an idea or like essentially a chapter. Right. Tying things together into a coherent um, and artful and, and, and all this idea of pacing is is very difficult to do it's well. It's very difficult. It really is. And because it's such a big scope, too. It's, sometimes it's hard to keep it all in your head. And for people to give you feedback, it takes a while for them to really ingest that, you know, if they do. It, yeah. I mean, hard. this is why I can't write nonfiction. Even when I try, I just... I I have to make things up. It just feels so much more free. <laughs> Even in my journal, sometimes yeah. I'll write things down. I'll be like, that's not how it happened, but it <laughs> sounds better. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a good point. Maybe like the creativity of, it's like improvising music versus playing sheet music or something. Like I, I find one to be totally nourishing the other I have no interest in. <laughs> and maybe I should take that into writing in some way as a- yeah. A, Gosh, never even thought about it that way. Um, so you 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 ha- you like your fir- first book a lot, and didn't you also you said when you were doing screenplays, you did have something it says in your credits that is made its picture. Yes, I the first screenplay I ever wrote, which I wrote because I was madly in love with this boy that I'd met in college, and we moved away. Uh, I moved to L.A. He moved to Boulder, Colorado, and. Um, I didn't think I was ever going to see him again. And I wrote this movie thinking that maybe someday he would see it and be like, oh, she's the one that got away. And that was the whole reason I wrote that screenplay. Oh, my God. <laughs> but what's it called? It got made. It's called Dream for an Insomniac. Yeah, it was crazy. Like I finished it and I was I was working at a script re- as a script reader for a production company. And I sent the script around to like 50 production companies just seeing if anyone wanted to buy it. And one of the these companies just loved it and, and said, we want to make this. And could you direct it, by the way? Um, wow. Which I ended up doing, even though I didn't really know how to do that. Um, How'd that go? And th- that was insane. 
and it's super fun, but it was like the, it was like everything after the filming of the movie that got to be too much for me, like the whole Hollywood scene. Um, mm. And, and anyway, I accomplished the goal because that I wrote that s- script about Scott and here we are. So, Oh, it did. Oh my <laughs> yeah. God. So it worked. <laughs> did he actually see the movie and that's what reconnected you? No. That would be too much. Yeah, that would be too much. But it was kind of funny because we started dating right after I'd filmed it and I was still editing it. And at some point, like three months into our relationship, he was like, so you you allegedly made this movie. Like, when do I get to see it? Can you tell me about it? And so I took him to the place where we were editing it. And like we sat in this little screening room and... I like before I pushed play, I had to like look at him and be like, okay, there's something I need to tell you about this movie before you watch it. And he's like, okay, what? And I was like, it's kind of about you. Uh, <laughs> if so he that hadn't was a little have known that, would he have been like a little like taken aback? Is it that's obvious that it's about him? I honestly, I'm not sure he would have picked up on it. <laughs> I thought it was obvious, but I'm not so sure. <laughs> I want to see it now. How, how can you see that film? I think Where you can watch it? it on Amazon. Cool. Um, right. But I, I will preface that by saying that I can't watch that film now because I was 21, 22 when I wrote it. And it's literally like watching my diary come to life. Like it's just and I see how naive and like young I was about right, everything. Right. Well, you know, everything. Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way about old stuff, too. It's just like, oh, God. But then I if anything, it gives me a little context. I mean, I'm like, well, I shouldn't take myself too seriously now because probably 10, 20 years from now, I'll be like, Jesus, listen to this. <laughs> listen to this guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's pretty wild, though, that you wrote and directed something at 21. I mean, yeah, I mean, I was 23, I think. What when a we ride. Filmed it. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. So music, I'm still pretty fascinated that music plays this big creative role for you to synesthetically create other works. And strange to me, too. Guess what I would listen to sometimes when I would write? My book was also Hammock. Oh, wow. Um, And I don't listen to Hammock much otherwise. Me too. But for some reason, something about it, the cinematic, emotional, instrumental quality, it helped writing. Totally. It totally helps writing. Yeah, I would just jam on the hammock and like um, other pieces too, but I found hammock was really good for some reason. Love those guys. Yep. Um, so I want to talk about music a bit and it's helping you write, but it's uh, it's been more than that for you because then you also at some point uh, co-founded a record label mm-hmm. and Y'all been doing that now for what, 13, 14 years? Like 15 years or more. I think it was 2007 we started, although the first couple of years are throwaways because we didn't know what we were doing. Well, that's also the same timeline of when I started East Forest. And like I had my whole psychedelic breakthrough and was like changed everything and left New York City. And um, same, that was a powerful year around 2008, 2007. Yeah. Yeah. What I wish I would have had, I wish I would have had my psychedelic breakthroughs back then. I think I would have <laughs> saved myself a lot of trouble. <laughs> well, they come when they come. You they know? come when they uh, come. It's a not a, it's they're it's sort of like above time in a way, right? Yep, for sure. Yeah. So why start a record label or how or tell me more about that cuz um I think a lot of people maybe have romantic ideas about what that is, but it's 
I'm sure you've learned a lot over the years, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Let's just start with why and how that happened. I mean, it was a crazy story. Again, another crazy story. I was sitting with a friend of mine who um, was a music producer and we were, he had had about three bottles of wine. I was completely sober, so I have no excuse. That's heavy Um, duty. And we were talking about music and like how crappy we thought the music on the radio was. And he was like, you know what we should do? We should start a label. And I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. And I talked to Scott about it and we were just like thinking it would be something we could do on the side because Scott was a writer at the time as well. And we were just like, yeah, you know, let's just do this as a little hobby. And, you know, cut to a year later, like it's taken over our lives. It's what we're doing 12 hours a day. But it really came from a place of just being so passionate about music and wanting wanting to kind of, I don't know, like having this belief in the power of music to change people and to heal people. And like I was someone who music meant so much to me growing up. I mean, I saw my first U2 concert when I was in eighth grade and I was in the fourth row. And I remember being in the yeah. arena like watching Bono sing Bad, which is still my number one favorite song in the whole universe. And he's like, he's emoting so much. He's teaching me so much about what it means to be a human. And I literally left the arena that night thinking, I am a different person. Like I watched the, the way the music just lifted me off the ground. And I was like, that is how I want to live. Like, I want to feel things like that. And I want to experience life like this. And like, this is my path. And ever since that day, like, I don't know, I've just wanted to connect with music in that way and help other people connect with music in that way. And, um, and then stupidly, decide to start a record label literally the moment people stop buying records. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to ask you, like, what's the hardest thing or what are some some of the biggest challenges you've had to overcome in running a record label? I think for me, the hardest part is how difficult it is for artists to make a living doing this in this day and age. And I mean, I lose a lot of sleep at night worrying about how my artists are going to pay their rent. You know, some of them are, you know, a lot of them are to the point now where they're, they're doing well enough, but you know, the younger ones still starting out, it's so hard. And, you know, you have to be selling out Fillmore size places to be really making a decent living doing this. Um, So that's the hard part for me. I just feel like the artists are getting the bum deal in so much of you know, the streaming services and, um, you know, just people deserve to yeah. be paid for their work. They they do. Uh, and it is quite a conundrum. I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize uh, what what goes into like what comes out of the pieces of a pie when you're an artist. And it's like a lot. On, yeah. On one level, when you're starting out, I remember like there's no one, there's no team. It's just you. Right. And, and so any money you make, you get, except it's t- portions are taken out by services like Apple or stuff. But I, I made you know no money. I remember I was putting my stuff out on CD baby and I think I'd get royalties that were like $18 or like right. $21 or like Pandora would, you know, I'd be like, Oh my God, I had like a thousand streams. And you're like, you get 12 cents, you know? <laughs> and, and I actually thought like, 
well, I'll never make money at the actual music, but I still just really believed in trying to get it out there. And I wasn't, I, I had another job. I was a photographer and great job, but I mean, I couldn't just make a living off of uh, music. But when I had my big breakthrough in 2008 with my music that I've been making for the, for just for myself for the first time in my life, it, almost anti-commercial, like it could never be sold. <laughs> it's just for me to journey with and it's fun. And I, and I was just kind of chasing this North star of like what I wanted it to feel like. And I did that for a year and had this super transformative moment uh, with that first record, which became my first record of this. But for years and years and years, I was just like, it's a gift. I don't even want to try and make money at it. I actually put it up in the Library of Congress. Like I went out of my way <laughs> to make it free forever. Back when you bought music that way, yeah. right? Um, and I was really dedicated to that and like the spirit of a gift and really believing that if you lean into that, I don't know, it's not like barter, but things, I don't know, things will come back to me. And it has, but That's it amazing. took a long time, took a long time, took a long time. But then you get to today, like you're saying, and I think the struggle now becomes like, A, not making things about uh, money, but also recognizing even when money comes in, how little you actually pocket. Yeah. You know, like I, I had a, I had a, for instance, a, a tour in Europe that I had to cancel but even if I sold out the entire thing, I was going to lose fair about a fair bit of money. Yeah, that's and I was just insane. like, and this is like a huge success. Like I could even potentially sell it out. So I was like, still, yeah, like I, I how does I that make, make sense? It kind of it doesn't on a financial level, right? And you have to just be like, you're doing this again in that spirit of the gift. You're trying to see a bigger picture here, but it's hard. It's, it's really hard, hard. To, and you don't want to make decisions because of money. You want to be like, oh, I'll do that job because I need the money, but. It's, a, it's yeah. a challenge. It's a real challenge. When we were first starting out, our first big hit um, was by this really awesome, almost punk band called Middle Class Rut. Um, but they had an alternative hit. And I remember, you know, Braden at, at our office, like I remember him telling me if this were 1995, like mm. they'd have a gold record. And these guys were like, they had kids and families and right. they still couldn't make a living doing it. It was so frustrating with a hit song. Yeah. And you like the back in the CD era, it really was completely different. I mean, uh, the downside is before the digital revolution of around 2001, when everything digitized and now you could make music yourself on a computer, which is great. But before that, if you could get through the whole gatekeeper system of the studios and the labels and so forth and radio, and you did you click like that. There was real money. But here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy, though. Like, if you think about, like, any, I don't know, Guns N' Roses or something, and you're selling millions of albums, and they're like, in their mind, look, we have cash, money's coming in, we're doing really well. They still were only making probably maybe 12% off That's the sales crazy. from the And so imagine how much money those record labels, you know, the big guys were making is insane. 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 And those sort of practices still come into play. Yeah. You know? like, there's still some of those deals put forth that you're just like, w w people still are into this? Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's nutty. But, but now like we have so many more options about how we put stuff out and how we make things. Like I wouldn't exist if I, like there's no way I could have just experimented around and made experimental music unless I could do it by myself. 
right. on a computer, you know, for a very low cost. And that's Just, the beauty of it now, you know, like yeah. that's the, that's the upside. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're able to just make amazing, it's amazing what we can make like off of a laptop. It's mm -hmm. insane. Uh, and so I, I'm really excited to be releasing. So we might as well talk a little bit about that because it's Let's. coming out really soon. So yeah. we're uh, releasing a record, two records, but the first one is the Peter Broderick collaboration called Burn. I'm really Which happy. So that you... beautiful. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So it, beautiful. So February 27th, right? That sounds right. That. Yeah. February 24th is two songs and then the whole album on St. Patrick's Day. Is March seventeenth. That that was. Well, you you're going to be you're going to be competing with the new U two record. <laughs> what out? We'll, we'll give them a run for their money. Yeah. Um, this was hilarious. We were on a call trying to talk about the release date, and the album was recorded in Ireland. For those who don't know, and it was this magical week of just happening, and the place itself was a huge thing of whatever happened there, and in many ways, just like we were foraging food and and drinking this water from this middle ages well and Amazing. eating these little mushrooms that uh, Peter's a huge forager and he had foraged uh, psychedelic mushrooms from the air right around us and wow. dried them. So we we're just microdosing and we asked the lamb like, Hey, you know, please uh, speak through us, support us this week. Let's see what's going to happen. We're just, we have no plan other than we just want to make music and we have a week and 12 songs came out which was not the plan. And <laughs> we were like, still, let's just experiment and, you know, take what works and put on the floor what doesn't. And the album ended up being all 12 songs in the order they recorded. Yeah, and some of them were just magic. one take. Total magic. To we Both of us were just the whole week like, is this actually happening? And <laughs> so when we had the discussion about when to release it and Matt on uh, your team said, well, I guess we could do it. Let's see, March. We could do March 17th. But <laughs> I, he's like, guys, I get it. It is like St. Patrick's Day. You probably don't want to do that. And Peter <laughs> Peter interrupts him and says, that's St. Patrick's Day. We have to release the record. <laughs> I, I think he started tearing up. You know, he's, he's like, that's perfect. It, it has to go. Oh, my God, it's perfect. So it's coming out on St. Patrick's Day. Perfect, perfect. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, and. So that'll be good. That'll be good. And then my next studio record will be with you all too after that, which I'm really excited about. Which and I am also really excited about that one as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to muddle the message too much, but that record is something that um, I'm really proud of. And I suppose it was sort of my pandemic record, but it actually involves other musicians and it's, it's sort of like bass, drums, piano, you know, it goes, it's very like basic parts, but yeah. I love the acoustic groovy and there's a lot of lyrics actually and songs on there which is kind of fresh for me too yeah it's really cool it's really really yeah. cool cannot wait to share that with the world yeah yeah it's coming soon that'll probably be in uh may so what are you what are you excited about creatively either personally or professionally or what's what's coming up on your radar that you're like man i'm i'm happy for this thing or like it sounds like i know you're thinking starting a new book in the summer yeah, I'm really excited about the new book. Um, I'm, I've been itching to write for probably six months now, but I just wasn't yeah. ready to commit yet. Um, so that I'm really excited about. And, you know, I'm just, I feel like Bright Antenna is at this place right now where we've kind of like learned how to 
weed through um, the the noise and the mess and have found this this first of all our team is like this amazing family and great the, all of the artists yeah. that we have that we that we're working with right now are just they're really special human beings um, mm. and so I'm just excited for everything that everyone has coming out right now. Like there's just, everyone's making music right now and it's all exciting and I, everyone's doing well, which is, I don't know that, that makes me feel really good. Yeah. So um, I'm just, I, I was writing in my journal this morning that like for the first time in, I don't know, maybe forever, but definitely decades. Like I, I feel like I'm not longing for anything. Like I'm just in this place Ugh. of being really content and it took a lot of fucking work to get there. Um, and so it's hard to even like get overly excited about anything. Like I feel like I'm just in the moment and I'm letting these things be and they're magical and beautiful. And I'm just wanting to kind of like hold on to that for as long as I can. <laughs> or not hold on to it, right? I mean, that, Maybe. As a, See, there as, I go. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Don't but hold on, let go. That not desiring something in a sense is talk about that's freedom, right? Yes. There. I mean, that is like boom, you know, that and accepting yourself. And it's like, that's enlightenment <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. Like you're, you're in the presence and it's just this. And it's like, I accept it all and I'm, I just hold it. And it's yeah. like, I, I'm, I'm enjoying just being with all of this right now. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's weird, too, because there are things in my life that are really challenging at the moment. My mom is dealing with cancer at the moment. And, oh, um, you know, and it's hard for the whole family. Like we're all kind of trying to be there for her and be there for each other. And um, and I feel like the old version of me would have just been an anxious mess through this. But, you know, I was with her last week and I just felt like I had this space to be like see her and feel her and and hold her in a different way and um that is it's new to me and it feels really good and i think you know it's it's proof that people can change and grow <laughs> it's what we were talking about like sometimes on the surface you're like i see this it goes left it goes right it goes down but there is a process that is happening underneath and you can only see it over time yeah. where new growth starts to emerge from the soil. And it's like, ah, oh, this yeah, is a and thing. Sometimes this you is gotta, existing. Yeah, and sometimes you got to like really fall to pieces before you can put those pieces back together. And I think in a way, sorrow was about that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, now we're all doing it. <sighs> the book is so good. I, I think everyone should go out and get it. What's the best way to buy your book? I mean, probably Amazon or any indie bookstore can order it for you. I always like, I'm a big proponent of indie bookstores, but if you don't have one that you frequent, Amazon. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite advice that you would give to other people who want to write a novel or be writing? Well, I this is what I say a lot and it's a hundred percent true. And I wish that it was a more magical thing to say, but don't wait for the muse. I feel like so much of writing is discipline. And I know a lot of people who are super talented, but they don't have the discipline to sit down every day for a certain amount of time and just chug along. 
because writing is so much about just chugging along. Um, some days, I mean, I've, I've had days where I've spent eight hours writing one paragraph and, and then get to the end of the day and be like, this is shit. And I erase it, you know? And so it's just about keep going, you know, don't, don't wait for the magic, make the magic happen. And that only happens by doing it every day. I couldn't agree more on that, on the discipline front, or just to say the like, don't wait for the muse. Like, I think I had a professor in college who was a uh, screenwriter and he had a sign, something to the effect of like, you know, when, when does the muse come? And he'd be like, comes at 10 o'clock when I sit down in the chair and start writing. I mean, you sort of yep. call it forth by just doing it. And for me, music is 100% the same way. Um, you got to just like, you just kind of put your hands on the keys or whatever it is and start making stuff and allowing things to be whatever they need to be. Maybe you throw it out, maybe you keep it. I mean, that's the process. Yeah, that's the do process. a lot of things. Yeah, yeah and I there understand. are moments, as I'm sure you know, of complete magic where you're so lost and and time doesn't exist and you mm-hmm. get to the end of a day and you're like, whoa, like that, that really hits me. Like that was good work. But um, there are also days where it's just a slog yeah. the whole time. And, and what you can be proud of is that you, you, you sat down or whatever you do it and, and did it, even if it's like 15 minutes, to be honest, is yeah. so honorable compared to like, I, I'm going to do the email or I'm going to go do the other thing. For me, it's like a monkey on my back and uh, the whole day has meaning. If yes. I, if I just do that sort of, <laughs> dare I call it worship of just like, I, I all right, I played piano. You know, <laughs> yeah. and some days it's a lot more than that, you know, and a lot of times it's rehearsal for some show or something. I, I feel like I'm always rehearsing for something and it can be a lot of resistance to do that. But after I've done it, I just feel like everything else is gravy today. You know, all the even yes. important things like, yeah, OK, but I did the thing. Yes, you know? I accomplished something and it's meaningful to me, at least. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more about that will then the result of whatever was made is what feels good. And there's something, there's some lesson there as humans about being more attached to the fruits or the less attached to the fruits than the labor. Well, and I feel like when I write, that's one of the things that like, I always write with this idea that no one's ever going to read what I'm writing. Because if I thought about that while I was writing it, yeah. I, I might censor myself in some way. So like I always pretend that I'm just doing it for myself anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess you, you have to you have to do it like what excites you, because if it excites you, it'll probably excite somebody else. And when you do it the other way around, it usually waters it down in a certain way. Yeah. Or it just loses the authenticity in some way. Well, I encourage folks to check out Sorrow and your other books and um, Bright Antenna Records has lots of cool stuff going on. And is there anything else you want to bring up? No, that pretty much sums up my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, the dog in the book too. It's not exactly the same breed, right? It is. Or it's, it actually, is. that dog oh, okay. was our first wolfhound. He was just like that. He, he was, so he made an appearance basically as it, under a different name. Did you grow up in that area in Mill Valley? No, I grew up in okay. Ohio. Okay. But I, I live. Sure. I know you, you live there now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I live like right down the street from where October lives. Well, <laughs> because when I, I came out there to uh, have a meeting with y'all many months back, and so I, I felt like I knew 
that coffee shop. Yeah, area. we went to like, Equator. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such a lovely area anyway. But it uh, is. I even went down, you know, if you go up that street, there's the that park with the beautiful yep. redwoods. Mm-hmm. I don't, that's not Muir Woods, but it's close, right? And it's it's like, close, yeah. And that's yeah. sort of the trails that they, they wander about in their backyard. Yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations on creating such a great work. And thank you. Um, thank you. For really like revitalizing uh, love for me that I had lost a bit um, oh, of novels you. and remembering like the joy of that. And like, and thank you for um, all your trust in, in me and my work and for collaborating together. And just for the weavings that I, I hope are just beginning. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm so excited and so proud and and just so moved by how you opened your heart to those characters and that story. They moved me. So um, it was just the perfect timing, too. I still feel moved by it. So I like I feel emotional just talking about it. I can't even quite figure out why, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, I think it, it's... It's also, again, how, like, when it happened, and then it got connected to some of these really deep emotional understandings of myself that now it's like tied with that story in a strange mm. way. And so when I think about it, um, I just really care about them because I'm caring about myself in some indirect way. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, brava. Really great work. And thank, thank you, you for thank taking you. the time to let me, t I wanted to talk to you about it, you know, just to, just to kind of help close that loop of like, you know, I have, I have strong feelings about the book. I can talk to Rod about it. Maybe Peter, like who else? <laughs> I, tell, I should tell you, I want to tell you. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to hear more about your retreat. So look forward to seeing you soon. I hope. Yeah. 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 I need to do an episode. Um, this may come out before or after I do that, where I talk about it. But um, anyway. I, I will tell you more about it. And uh, thank you so much. Thank great you to so you. much. Hope to see you soon. And Me too. Have a, a great day. Thank you. Going to spend the rest of the day hiking. Perfect. <laughs> thank you, Tiffany, for coming on the show. And thank you, Tiffany and Scott, for your support overall. It's just been absolutely incredible. And thank you for supporting uh, Peter and I with this new release on Bright Antenna Records. This, uh, this song that you're hearing in the background is called The Baron Burren, and it is a single from the new record called Burren that comes out March 17th. You can listen to these two songs wherever you listen to music, uh, and you can pre-save the whole album and so forth. Uh, go to eastforce.org for more information. I'm really excited to share that record with you. Thank you to everyone on our Patreon.com. Patreon.com slash East Forest. It's the council. It's a great way to support the project. Thank you to everyone who is on the council for all of your support. It means a lot to us. Until then, you keep walking your walk. Don't take any shit. Don't get sick. But if you do, do it with grace. From the sand. The bed.